Hi, you're listening to Mediation Station. This is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week, we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and at 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA, 1610am and for Fenton Mediation. Listen to podcasts of radio shows for on uh, Mediation Station at both SoundCloud or Apple's podcast and now Google Podcasts, which I found out very recently. You can follow us at our Twitter account, which is at Fenton Mediation. Our topic for conversation tonight with my co-host, who will be here very shortly, is Laura Tarcia, who you can see on the video. Of course, you have to use your imagination on the, the audio version. And uh, she'll be engaging with me in a conversation very shortly. And the conversation is how to divorce your best friend. So let me read to you an article that I wanted to share about, and it's titled, When Debate is Futile, Bertrand Russell's Remarkable Response to a Fascist Provocation. And it's by Maria Popova. And it's all about, you know, the really relevant to the times that we've had where divisive conversation, differences has become a, an agenda that people use to attack each other and undermine. To approach someone else convincingly, you must do so with open arms and head held high. And your arms can't be open unless your head is high. This is the Lebanese-born French writer, Amin Malouf, and he wrote in his timeless, increasingly timely reflection on how to disagree. It is in times as divisive as ours and as sundered by conflicting perspectives that the mastery of such intelligent, kind-hearted, and considered disagreement emerges as, supreme, as a supreme art of living. To respond in a reactive culture, to marry firm moral conviction with a spirit of goodwill and the porousness necessary for appraising other perspectives in order to evolve one own is a Herculean feat of character. And yet there are instances in which it is unsound to engage with another whose values are so antithetical to one's own that the collision is bound to shatter one's sanity rather than build common ground. To recognize those rare instances and choose to stand down is an act of moral courage rather than moral weakness. And no one has articulated that difficult courage with more intellectual elegance and moral grace than the great English philosopher Bertrand Russell. And he's a formidable intellect animated by extraordinary generosity of spirit. And he was awarded the Nobel Prize for his varied and significant writings in which he championed humanitarian ideals and freedom of thought. So in January of 1962, Russell receives a series of letters from an unlikely correspondent, Sir Oswald Mosley, who had founded the British Union of Fascists 30 years earlier. Mosley was inviting, or rather provoking, Russell to engage in a debate in which he could persuade the moral philosopher of the merits of fascism. Russell's considered and morally unflinching response, included in Ronald Clark's excellent biography, The Life of Bertrand Russell, stands as a manifesto for the right not to engage in a debate with a counterpart so morally misaligned 
with oneself as to guarantee not only the self-defeating futility of such engagement, but its detrimental cost to one's own sanity. So the response is, Dear Sir Oswald, thank you for your letter and for your enclosures. I have given some thought to our recent correspondence. It is always difficult to decide on how to respond to people whose ethos is so alien and, in fact, repellent to one's own. It is not that I take exception to the general points made by you, but that every ounce of my energy has been devoted to an active opposition to cruel bigotry, compulsive violence, and the sadistic persecution which has characterized the philosophy and practice of fascism. I feel obliged to say that the emotional universes we inhabit are so distinct and in deepest ways opposed that nothing fruitful or sincere could ever emerge from association between us. I should like you to understand the intensity of this conviction on my part. It is not out of any attempt to be rude that I say this, but because of all that I value in human experience and human achievement, you're sincerely Bertrand Russell. So why did I present this? Well, it's been a, a last four years of um, contrary perspectives, and I found that too many people are um, engaging in trying to defend themselves to try to convince another person that they're right and the other one's wrong. I, I really promote about self-determination, that people have ownership and that they retain that and don't get caught up in other people's agendas. That's basically my bottom line. This is the second show coming to you through Zoom of Mediation Station, as we are usually on live on radio station CHHA, 1610 AM, each Sunday night from 8 to 9 PM. Due to COVID-19 restrictions, the radio station is not able to provide for any live or in-person programming. To keep the energy going with the program and with the suggestion and support of my friend and co-host tonight, Laura Tercia, this will be the manner of providing the program each week until I can return to an in-person hosting format of the program. For tonight, the process is that Laura and I will engage in conversation on our topic, which is called How to Divorce Your Best Friend. Anyone attending will be able to listen and watch the conversation. Their microphones and webcams will be closed. If anyone wants to contribute anything, there are two options. One is to see the chat icon as a bubble at the bottom center of your screen for you to click to then type in a comment or question and click to send. I will see it or Laura will see it and we'll present it out loud to speak and share. Or you can click on the hand icon that is also on the bottom center of your screen. We will see that and hopefully then acknowledge it to open your mic only, not your video. And you can orally share your question or comment. And Laura and I will engage in the conversation about that. The show is being recorded for both video and audio purposes that will be uploaded for public access at some later point. Last week's show has been uploaded to SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts to listen to. And I see uh, sitting in the bleacher seats as well is our visitor from last week, Kimia. Thank you for attending tonight, Kimia. Last week, just a note, it was the four horsemen of divorce. Really? And uh, I thought that was a great conversation and I really appreciate Kimia's contribution and her energy and her commitment and her convictions, especially to that theoretical stuff. Anyways, are you laughing, Kimia? All right. <laughs> so here's Laura and me, 
and we're talking about how to divorce your best friend. So welcome back to the program. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> and uh, this is the first time we can see each other over the course of the last number of months, because you di you have, except for last month, maintained the routine, which is part of our relationship, to co-host on the first Sunday of each month. Though since COVID's come on, you've been calling in. You've been keeping a distance from me. You know, you took that too extreme with the social distancing thing. Gladly. <laughs> and I took it too personal. And now I can see you and you can see me. And, you know, we're still distance, so we're safe for that. <laughs> How have you been? Uh, oh, I'm amazing. <laughs> well, that's, that's a deep response. Uh, do, you more, do you have more to contribute on that? I, I've been really well, Greg. How have you been? I've been okay. Have I've been you? all right. Yeah, you know, life is about dealing with your moments. And, you know, sometimes are better than others. As a human being, I go with the flow as much as I can. I am affected. And uh, I am an empath. You know what an empath is? Are you an empath? Not really. And you know what? I don't think I care. <laughs> right. Well, that's the ultimate. That's your best response to to explain. If I were an empath, would I care? You're not an empath. I just don't care. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I think I think we're both empaths. I think I think it's uh, I think it's um, impacting us greatly uh, what we're going through right now and the fact that we're not able to you know give a hug, a nice long hug at the very least you know and um, uh, just being isolated, being in this between this <laughs> bookcases every day and videos and uh, Zoom meetings and uh, just very um, very empty, very bare. Yeah, I mean, for the human connection part, the, you know, yes. feeling the energy of another person, especially within the, their presence. I, I just want to touch base and let people know that we have a theme tonight. We're wearing glasses and we have bookcases as backgrounds. <laughs> it's mandatory. <laughs> Actually, that was a theme last week with Kimia too. She wore glasses and she had bookcases in her background. For the sake of the audience, really, um, I think you should. Uh, I, I thought last week's show was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was absolutely uh, something that everybody and anybody in a relationship, whatever that may be, friendship, marital relationship, um, experiencing divorce or separation, they should listen to that because there are so many. Um, so many important elements that uh, you can sort of introduce in your uh, in, in your relationship. I, I, I thought it was great. So thank, thanks, Kimia. <laughs> so I want to let people know that I did edit that show as an audio only. It's still accessible to do to edit as a video, which we haven't done. The audio is uploaded to SoundCloud. And then I have posted the link on the Mediation Station Facebook group and then also on LinkedIn, and then I tweeted it out through Fenton Mediation and that at 11 Mediator. There's a large playlist of over 200 shows on soundcloud.com. You go to the website, you don't have to become a member, you just go to the website and you can do a search under Mediation Station and you'll get access to the playlist. And then it should be the most recent show and go from there. So I, I just wanna note a couple of 
comments here. Hi, excited for tonight's show. That's from Kimia. And then also Zara. Zara is a, a new friend. She's a student in the Family Mediation Certificate Program. Coached her today and yesterday. Welcome, thank you for attending and visiting, dropping in. Okay. Going back to our conversation, how to divorce your best friend. So what have you noticed about yourself, Laura, that's provided for the most affect on your life during these past months? What's changed for you? Um, I think I've noticed I'm weaker than I think. <laughs> Physically or? Physically, mentally, emotionally, um, on my own. Um, I, I do need more people around me. I need my people around me. Um, I need my gatherings. I need my uh, food sharing. I need my uh, um, exchanges, my, my flow. My, I need my people. I need my village. So I miss my village, and I'm realizing that without my village, I am, I'm, it's pretty empty, and it's, it's, uh, it, it sucks. Sucks. Well, in the crowd, again, in the bleachers, we have some of our community members. We have Christiana, who's a loyal mediation station listener, now a viewer. Nice we putting have... everybody on the spot. Why? I didn't say her last name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to, you know, I'm putting it out there just to acknowledge people. We have someone by the name of Anna, not putting her last name. I see another name too from today and yesterday, though I didn't coach her, and the, her name is Taylor. So I just want to do a shout out. Thank you for coming along. There's Patience, and she's in the bleacher seats too. So, what have you changed or adapted about yourself? I know you've noticed some changes because what I heard is the emptiness that's coming into your life in some way. And the fact that we can't physically connect. And I'm just thinking like over the last nine months, what's the birth rate going to be? Because people are secluded to their homes. And then once the COVID restrictions are open and people can actually re-engage and physically connect, maybe sexually connect, what's going to happen months after that too? Well, I, I, I'm anticipating we're not going to connect for a very long time or reconnect to the degree that we were connecting, connected. Uh, so that, that's going to be a long time coming. And um, um, the things that have been imposed generally um, as, as part of, uh, of this uh, epidemic and the rules and regulations uh, has, have, have been uh, quite interesting to note uh, in terms of you know bubbles, for example, you know who you who who do you bubble with, and uh, and what does that mean to you or about you, and uh, who who are you leaving out of your bubble, <laughs> what does that mean to them, right? And there's the the conversations have become really really truly um, on our side they they have become very awkward in the beginning, completely awkward. Um, to the point that uh, we all had to make a choice, a conscious choice to tell each other that we have to be extremely open. So go to a, a, the, other, the other end uh, of the range as opposed to being closed and, you know, let's not talk about it. Let's, you know, keep th this bubble. Don't tell the other bubble that they're not in our bubble, things like that. Now we have uh, made a conscious decision to, to 
be extremely open about everything and anything really so um i have realized quite a few interesting stuff um just excessive openness in in our relationship so our relationships have become tighter um the, the relationships that we had prior the smaller ones now as the village has you know gotten, gotten little neighborhoods <laughs> that we mm -hmm. have only like stay in that little neighbor perimeter yeah. that, that, that little neighborhood has gotten so so uh so strong and so open and we know every unfortunately i think i know too much now <laughs> so, is that a risk that I'm not sure when, exactly it, is, it can be we spend too much time with people certain people that <laughs> we get sort of like um you again or you still and it, it's a great opportunity for conflict negative conflict to happen well, you know what? Um, see, it depends on how you look at conflict because um, I was quite excited because it did get to that level at some point uh, during one of our uh, bubble trips. <laughs> so with a few people only, and it, that, it did get to that degree of conflict. So some have gotten, some have gotten upset and you know walked away, and some really wanted to address the conflict. So I did see it as an opportunity, because uh, had that, had that conflict not been there, I would not, I would not have ever known that you know my friend John uh, really likes to have cheese and baguette all in the same. <laughs> as opposed to the cheese and the baguette separately. I wouldn't have known that, you know, um, a one, um, another friend of mine doesn't like to cut chicken, <laughs> but she likes to eat it, but she hates the way that... She wants other people to cut it for her? Or? <laughs> there, you know, this thing surfaced just because it got to a point of people feeling the need, the, the tension got so great that they, they really felt the need to really um, express the limitations or express how they really feel about a particular thing uh, in in the moment, which they would not have had casually in a conversation, uh, you know, unless it happened. So I, I was very grateful for that conflict, to be honest. I, I love yes. it. Like you say, it's an opportunity to get, you know, the revelations of things that we may have taken for granted or may have never entered into our mindset when we're engaging in people in our quote normal kind of engagement prior to COVID-19. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I, I would think too that if people found out that they're not part of your bubble, they might necessarily have a reaction that's not positive. Why am I not part of your bubble? Right, right. And now so we're going to stop recording <laughs> and I'm going <laughs> to tell you and then we're going to go back on air. <laughs> we're going to name people? <laughs> name names. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk about these names. <laughs> so so we, you and I have had a number of conversations together on relationships, mm -hmm. including on them transitioning from couples to separates. From working with couples in a mediation process, what would you say is the general nature of the people when they decide to divorce? And just to clarify, you are an accredited family mediator. Yay. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> So, um, it's a loaded question. Take it one, one word at a time. People come, couples come, families come with all sorts of reasons yeah. um, to that, uh, you know, got them to the stage of, uh, of separation or divorce. It's not one reason. Um, so it, it, it's it's never it's very difficult to ever pinpoint to a particular event or a particular uh, trigger 
um, in a in a in a marriage, um, and I think that's a difficult aspect of that they're battling with um, in in when they got to this point. So, um, in a long-winded way, each family is unique, and each family experiences the separation and divorce very uniquely. Um, and it's very it's it's impossible to apply a one lens to supporting them through this transition. So it's just, you, you, you just have to listen to the body language and you have to listen to what they're saying and you have to listen to uh, how they're reacting to particularities that are coming in and out from their dialogue. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of listening and there's a lot of sort of navigating of, uh, of these feelings and emotions. But, uh, you know, there's not, there's, not one, there's not one answer. There's not... Uh, in general, though, how would you define the nature of people's experience from being together as intimates as a couple to then making some conscious decision to say, we need to separate and we need to further on divorce. Mm -hmm. how, how, how has your experience been when you engage people in a process of trying to facilitate their decision-making together? Their nature? Yeah. They're, what's going on for them? What kind of energy? What is their mind thought, um, uh, mindset? their thought process? Are they struggling? It, there's, it, depend, it depends on what led them there. Um, I, we do see, I do see anyway, uh, mainly I, I see a lot of sadness. I see a lot of um, loss of hope. There's a lot of fear. Uh, there's a, and depending on what actually got them there, when there's, for example, infidelity, there's, there's, there's anger, there's resentment, uh, there's betrayal. So, um, and you know, when, when, all, when these factors have not played a role in the relationship dynamic, uh, there's a lot of sadness and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of regret for, and there's a lot of guilt and self-blame. I haven't tried hard enough. Um, we have kids, I should have stuck more by, by him or by her. So all of this come into play when, uh, when they are coming in, when, when they're at the table, uh, you know, moving into their next, uh, into the next chapter. So as you mentioned, it's like they have their feelings with regard to the ending of the relationship as a, a union, a partnership. And now it's going to transition to independence, uh, separates through divorce. Wouldn't they be happy to be released and relieved from the tension that provided for them to make the conscious decision to end the relationship? And some of them are. <laughs> And some of them are. Some of them said, I'm so gone. I already purchased, I already, I already got a home in Newfoundland. I'm flying tomorrow. We're signing the papers today. I'm gone. I'm gone. I'm leaving my, <laughs> my life behind that I had. I'm starting a new chapter. So, and yes, they are. There, there's a lot of excitement sometimes and there's still a lot of, and there's still a lot of hope for some. <clears throat> and, but really, truly, I think that is, uh, that is, um, uh, you you see that when both have come to that mutual understanding that it it is time, time it is now to move into a different uh, family unit or a different chapter. When one has been at a different pace, at a different level, at a different degree of understanding, that is that is that is not going to be he he or her are, is not going to jump out of joy, you know, on a plane to Vegas to celebrate their divorce the next month. So 
uh, it depends. I, I love working, unfor unfortunately, <laughs> there, are, there are families who are very happy to, se to separate and they give me hope. <laughs> I, I love working with those families. How do they give you hope? Because uh, through, vicariously through their hope of next chapter, of rebuilding, of new opportunities, of excitement, of living the life that they felt they deserved and they finally put those shoes on and they go into it. So it's, it is hopeful for, it's hopeful to see someone's hoping and new opportunities that are gonna delve into. How affected are you from other people's I don't lived experiences? Night. Sorry? I, I don't sleep at the night. <laughs> you know, I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I, it's true, it's true. And if I sleep, I think um, I dream of being awake. So it's a recurring, it's a recurring nightmare. How do, how do you do that? I'm not sure what it is, but I have to tell you, we had a very, very difficult mediation a couple of days ago. Very difficult, very draining, lots of emotions, um, and not at the same, not at the same pace, level of understanding, even language, language of, was, was not uh, the same language. They, they weren't, they were speaking, but they weren't hearing each other. They were not hearing each other. They haven't heard each other for a very long time. And this is very, you know, it's, it's at that point of having to share all of this with a stranger and this stranger needs to also navigate and sort of be part of, uh, part of their, uh, their relationship. Right. So I, it was a very draining mediation. I, I, I felt very tired after, after the, I think it was about four or five hours. So I went for a nap. I never go for naps. Never go for naps. I think you know you you sleep you you nap when you're dead. <laughs> well, maybe maybe so, they're one in the same. <laughs> so I went for a long nap. Uh, I woke up after an hour, and I I had to laugh at myself. I had a vivid dream. The whole dream was another mediation from the beginning until the end, a very, very draining emotional mediation. And I could remember everything from the dream. And it was a Zoom mediation, so it's very real. <laughs> so I, I did have to laugh at myself saying, you know what, I'm not sure if this is my dream or... <laughs> Which one's real? Which one is? So trying to get away didn't really work for me. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, sort of abnormal from my understanding to remember one's dreams. <laughs> I don't know if there's a sign there or a message for you. <laughs> don't sleep. <laughs> yeah, stay awake. <laughs> Have another mediation. <laughs> so how many of the situations involving couples who decided to end their relationship, they really can't stand each other. They're really totally adverse to maintaining. And, you know, we talk about the concept of co-parenting. Because if they have children, their relationship as intimates has ended, though the relationship as a couple, uh, uh, as co-parents, will continue because of the needs for the children. Mm -hmm. How many people overall in some way can't stand each other and they still need to maintain that co-parenting relationship? Uh, <clears throat> Not many not in our experience um, and to be honest they don't all start that way however some do end up that way by and it just happens to be our experience 
when when they engage lawyers for litigation or they think they are going that way or that's the route that they should be taking mm -hmm. we have seen couples change so we have seen couples starting the mediation process without lawyers and on a talking you know um, yeah a cooperative level quasi but fine enough good enough to you know start to create a plan make a schedule be respectful keep it civil and focus on the foundation of co-parenting relationship for for the post-separation transition so right. good enough good enough not perfect not ideal good enough and then we have seen the change in the same couple when they've each retained lawyers and now the lawyers have become part of the mediation and we've we haven't heard the clients voices anymore we haven't heard the parents anymore so now the meeting has expanded to presumably include support for these parents individual support right how, how that support translated into their negotiation and their planning for the next chapter was right broken they, they there was no longer a communication a healthy communication or a quasi healthy communication at that point because the agendas became very different agendas the agenda shifted from working together and pulling together to pulling apart and, 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 a, and a lot of lawyers not all for sure all. a lot of lawyers have this concept that all the communication flows through them so the lawyers speak so the client, the parent will speak to the lawyer, who will then speak to the other person's lawyer, who will then speak to the client. So it's a fraction, a broken telephone call type thing. Very broken. You know, the more people involved in communicating about in information, the greater opportunity it is for negativity to enter into that communication pathway. So many lawyers like to control and have ownership of that. So what I heard is, the idea is that the to get the lawyer was to be seen and to work as uh, adjunct, you know, a, a complementary support, and it became the opposite. Unfortunately, unfortunately, and you know, you can tell, and whomever is you know mediating here or about to mediate, or you can tell, you can tell lawyers that are truly collaborative versus lawyers who are not collaborative by the tone by the way that they relate to their their client by the way that they relate to the other to the other lawyer and then by the way by the way that they support the process of mediation as opposed to shaking it right because there are there there are lots of games and flexing that you know they can they can pull unfortunately at the expense of the client at the expense of their co-parenting relationship um, I'll give you an example, which really, really, uh, it broke my heart because we were in a mediation um, a couple of months ago um, with counsel. So there were the parties, there were the, the, the lawyers and the mediators. We work in a co-mediation model. So we're, we're, I'm not referring to myself as we, but we do, we, it's me and my co-mediator generally. We work Sometimes you have a split personality. I, I just didn't want to go there <laughs> thank you that's that's for the next show yeah. <laughs> we'll keep that door a uh, little cracked open um we had a mediation everybody was on it was a about a seven hours mediation seven hours mediation was that consecutive time consecutive. or you took some breaks 
we, we probably took five minutes break to roll our eyes and come back in. So it was about that. Um, at the end of it, there was, a, there was a settlement, a financial settlement that was about 5,000 difference that one wanted, one didn't want, whatever it was the case. They were really arguing. The lawyers became entrenched in arguing over a settlement of about $10,000 difference in between the two of them. Yeah. When in those seven hours, the parents have already spent the money on their lawyers and on their lawyers subsequent writing of whatever report comes out of this. It was absolutely excruciating to see yeah. the degree of pulling apart. And this, 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 was a, a, this was a couple who was able to speak in the beginning, who was able to negotiate with one another. And truthfully, there was, this was a couple who you know, came to the table and said, whatever, so it's 10,000 different, split it in half, five and five. I mean, at least keep it in your children's pockets or your family's pockets, you know, right. not even mediator's pockets or the, keep it in your pockets. And somehow, somehow they got entrenched Letters became extremely acrimonious between the between council, and then everything flew out the window. Unfortunately, it was it was absolutely. I felt I felt completely devastated for the parents because they did not know any better, and they could not have. They were trapped. Yeah, and I I mean the premise for mediation is that the individuals who are directly living the experience of the differences that have challenged their relationship are the ones that have ownership of decision-making. And when you get that kind of construct with lawyers who take ownership of other people's lived experiences and the decision-making with regard to that, it just becomes a total different monster. It does. And, and I know you and I talked about the possibility of what even having that kind of conversation for a show. Mm -hmm. and so we can explore that for a future show. What about those relationships that transition and people have created a, a solid foundation as best friends mm -hmm. and now they're looking to transition from the intimate aspect of that relationship, yet they want to continue as friends. How do you navigate that really conflicting kind of scenario? It's a really, I think it's a really tough one because there are, there are very strong friendships, very strong relationships uh, that have lasted for, you know, many years. And in fact, they have, they, they have become the primary way, the primary dynamic and the primary re reason why some couples remain together because they are so supportive. They are best friends. They are supportive of each other. They, they help each other. They admire each other. They push each other. They grow together. Um, and yet somehow, the attraction and the intimacy was it has 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 lost some it has been lost somewhere down the road and those are um, very difficult to navigate when they separate because um, and 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 pleasant actually pleasant and difficult um, there is heartbreak but there's also uh, genuine respect and consideration for the other so there's genuine um, hope for the other to have, uh, to be okay, to be healthy, to, to you know, continue to grow, to continue to have. So it not take away anything, but also continue to promote, um, you know, the, not only their friendship, but their well-being. So it's, it's a, 
we don't hear this uh, this often, but we do actually have a lot of couples who are going through mediation who have this specific, um, you know, fabric. Uh, it is it is it is very different than the media that we hear and all the uh, all the, you know angry divorce bitter ex all that stuff. Yes, we have a few of those, but majority of them are respectful relationships who've acknowledged that they're no longer in an intimate relationship and they have made the decision to release each other, to go into a chapter where they each, they each hope to get the love they feel they deserve. Right. So it's not like they're taking the easy way out as some would point and, and tell them and you know, talk about these couples. You're taking the easy way out, work at it, stay in it, you know, try harder. Um, that, in fact, for them is the hardest way because the, easy, the easy, easiest way would have been to stay in. Even though with, they're experiencing all that discomfort, the uneasiness of having the, the tension with that other person, that can be easier than actually navigating towards the decision to do a process of divorce, which can be a, a very traumatic experience. I, I think, though, if people are friends, you know, maybe they were friends before they got connected and became intimates, and then they forged the marriage, and then somehow the marriage didn't work out, yet they have this foundation of being still friends, and then finding a way to transition from being so connected as intimates to now no longer being able to be physical, sexual with that person, to solely be, again, what they were before they started the marriage as best friends. So we have a couple of comments. Let me uh, pull up. I, I won't name anybody. Uh, one you is... Sep have to transition with your glasses to read the comments? Yeah, you know, these are transitional <laughs> lens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... This is, I'm, I'm wailing, I'm praying to the You're not, you're not nodding monitor. in agreement with the comments. <laughs> not necessarily. Let that be noted. <laughs> yeah, so understand about verbal cues and nonverbal cues, the body language. This is not necessarily in agreement with the comments, especially when people respond like as mediators and people say something and then you say, right, okay, right. It's not right about that. It's, I'm just acknowledging. So one comment is separating can be extremely challenging especially when children are involved. Sometimes the children are the ones who it affects more. And another one is, I find that friend break up, breakups are disregarded and underrated, but actually can be one of the most difficult kind of breakup. Okay, so for the first one, <laughs> she's acknowledged that I can name her, that's Christiana. And she's about the separating can be extremely challenging, especially when children are involved. And we're, you know, we're taking the context tonight about best friends. How do you maintain and, and continue on the best friends relationship when the intimate one, how do you create a divorce process that will work for that? For the friendship to remain? Yeah. Um, you know, they, families, couples usually define it themselves. They say that they want to be friends. 
Um, so when, when someone says that, when someone comes to us and says, we want to remain friends, we're really good friends already, we want to continue to remain friends, we take that as the hallmark, as the paramount when we negotiate or when we help them negotiate their final, their final agreement. Um, and so there is going to be the creation of new boundaries and there's going to be a relearning of what that friendship looks like. But um, I think the friendship sometimes can regain and be stronger because the separation has occurred and there's no longer the tension that the intimacy has to happen or intimacy is not happening or, you know, the love is not at the... At, at the same um, same level as as uh, the like what what would marital love be? So I think I think the releasing of each other is it's a very interesting and very important thing. Uh, and uh, I think if they if they acknowledge it and lots of, lots of do acknowledge the fact that they're 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 good friends, um, they're actually um, we've seen in we've seen in mediation some beautiful. And I hate the word negotiation necessarily when we're talking about, you know, like parents and parenting, but we've seen some beautiful way, ways that families negotiate when they respect each other, when they, when they feel uh, that, you know, they, uh, they want the well-being of each other to continue. Okay. Um, so I'll give you an example because I love examples. We've had a family who uh, was negotiating a parenting plan and a financial settlement. And the father really wanted the mother to remain in the home. And guess what? If you were going to a lawyer, an unscrupulous lawyer, it, you know, they would say to you, well, no, the house is worth this amount. You can't, you can't sell it for that amount or you can't stay in it without, you know, really that amount, right? So it, that's that then entrenched all that stuff. So the father actually and the mother negotiated an under, under market, under fair market um, uh, value of the home. So the mom can afford to stay and remain in the home because that was important to their co-parenting relationship. And that was important for the dad to know that mom is going to be okay in the house with the kids. So, because it's, to interject, it's because the other parent, the father found that if the mother was in a strong emotional financial position mm -hmm. that that would resonate with the children and that's what you want ultimately ultimately uh, you know despite all of the uh, all of the feelings that may have surfaced given whatever events have triggered the separation and they're not all negative they're, the separation can be triggered by positive stuff that by you know sometimes separation can be triggered by respect of the other because you respect the other person, you need to release the other person. Because you respect the other person and the other person's feelings and, and future and the other person may want, may deserve more than you are capable to give. So self-awareness comes into play and you know, you may also look at yourself and say, you know what, I am not the best partner for this person. He or she deserves more. Let me give, you know, let me form part of, that, that releasing you may not see it the same way my partner may not see it the same way but i also know what i can give or i cannot give or i cannot give anymore so those i think the respect can also lead to to separation it doesn't have to all be negative and we're focusing so much on the negative side of of uh, of uh, of, uh, of that right so that those are those are some of the things that we see in a in a um, in a respectful sort of negotiation. So, 
uh, yeah, the kids ultimately benefit from it because ultimately you do want both parents to function at their optimal capacity and their optimal health um, in order to continue. You're going to be co-parents for the rest of your lives. That's just a given. If you cannot create a foundation today and you allow for interjections and sound to come in and take over, you know, how you're going to look like as a co-parent, uh, co-parenting relationship, then you pretty much. Yeah, because if you're, taking, <laughs> if you're taking, if you're providing for space for external players, people to contribute to the creation, the redefinition of your family dynamic as a transition from being intimate to now being separates, for me, there's a higher probability that something's going to go wrong. Mm. And the, you know, the capacity of self-determination for an individual thus extended within the, the relationship as co-parents, that's self-determination from a couple perspective. And I think that's the ultimate power. When people provide space for externals to come in and contribute to the creation, that's where I see the opportunity for difficulty to happen. And that's why you and I really promote about the community-based approach for helping people with decision-making that mediation is so powerful for. When they go into the court system, they give ownership up to a third party, that system, that construct, which is created on a positional adversarial mindset and approach, mm -hmm. and the third party imposing on them. There are different agendas. There are different agendas when you work with your co-parent than when you work with, um, with your lawyer and your co-parent because they're conflicting agendas. When you think about it really truly, the lawyer has a responsibility to the one parent, not to your family, to your entire family, and the other lawyer has the responsibility for just that, uh, that other parent. And guess what? They're not the same. So at that moment in time is, a decision to walk separately farther and farther than pulling together. So just be, just by mere fact of how it's how it's constructed, how the system is constructed, and what what the role of, of these uh, externals will have to play, that's their job, really. When you think about it, it's nothing you know here or there, but that's their job. However, when you think about creating a new family unit or a new family formation and reorganizing your family, you ought to look at both at the same time, moving functionally together. And that is impossible when you are having one and the other in opposing corners, pulling apart. Or keeping apart. Or keeping apart. That's not. That's not the agenda. That's not. That's not the goal of that particular concept. That is not the goal. The goal is not the health of your family. The goal for the one one lawyer is the health and whatever of one client, and then the health and whatever of the other client. It's not the family as a whole. That's the advocacy thing, and that's about from my point of view, competing interests. So they're there to help. To, you know, identify and support their client's interest relative to the other lawyer and client having their interests. So those usually are competing. They're not on the same page. When you know we work on collaborative approaches to negotiation, it's about my interest, your interest, 
And then the goal is to become our shared interests. Mm -hmm. What's, what is in the best interest of our family? Let me note somebody yeah. else said, in a sense, you remain with the essence of that person. We talked about, you know, best friends when they've decided to become independent from each other as an intimate couple. So it has to be a mutual agreement. So how, how would you say that people from other cultures then, well, when I say other, <laughs> non-English speaking, and the, the dominant perspective, because, you know, our society is based on a very colonialistic approach, Western society, and it's not inclusive, especially of people of diverse nature and cultural ethnic, ethnic backgrounds. How does that play into people whose values and beliefs with regard to the divorce process? What happens? It is very difficult to divorce here with values from a different culture. It is very difficult. The, the, the process of divorce itself, how it's, how it's, how it's uh, created here in Ontario, Canada, doesn't really truly match uh, or takes care or even hears the values and the belief systems from, um, from other, other cultures um, and, and the expectations that those couples or those families have. And by those, I actually mean too, me too, really. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I see a comment here. I agree that there's no consideration from other religion and culture. It, it isn't, there isn't. We, we can't find it in our, in our, um, uh, in our system when we, when we, however, we can acknowledge it. So in, on, in the justice system, we, we can't find it. Um, it's all the same door and sort of move through. Same, you know, same, same, same ink that they're going to put the numbers on your court file and that's about it. Um, but in, in a mediation-like forum, you can acknowledge and you can get to those underlying um, expectation, belief system and values and what the individual or the family as a unit needs. I'll give you an example, which was a very, very interesting example that we've had. So we've had a mediation a few years ago, a couple of years ago. And um, the wife and the husband were um, both Muslim and the wife came with the father and with her father and the husband uh, accepted that. That was absolutely no, and, you know, try and imagine this in, in, in our uh, sort of uh, courts or Ontario or uh, regular, let, let's call it mediation. Um, the wife came with the father, the husband accepted that, and in the end, the settlement was based considerably on what both families, so the parents of the wife and the husband, wanted to, to um, create also and continue in their communities. The relationship, the image, all of those came into play when they discussed how the separation of their son and their daughter is going to occur and how is that going to be you know in, in seen in the community and what was important for them as families as two families who are going to continue to have some shared experiences through their grandchildren and so on and so forth that that, that came into play you could not have that in 
accords. You cannot have that in Ontario, um, um, you know, in a separation agreement uh, where you are represented, or maybe if you are represented. However, there's the, uh, well, all I'm trying to say is that the, uh, there was a financial settlement that I can guarantee you that any lawyer would have said, no, don't take it. You deserve whatever, spousal support, or you should take spousal support. However, the wife said, absolutely not. This is the wish of our families. So and that's, sorry, finish, and then yeah, I'll say. That, that, that's, that's the huge difference that can, can be made, not only from the perspective of mediating and, 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 and having these elements at the table, have a seat at the table for these elements, but also to make sure that you upheld the fairness and the sense of, of, of value that families have individually and uniquely. That's, that's your, what you've presented is, you know, about the cultural aspect and how people can accommodate and modify their process. They, they can customize it. They can adapt it. That's the real truth of power for mediation relative to a systems approach to dealing with relationships where people in mediation have the total ownership of constructing their reconstruction of their relationship transitioning from couples to being independent mm -hmm. yet including the opportunity to incorporate their values their beliefs their practices and then people are so much more, I would believe, committed to the decisions they make. And there's a higher probability they'll follow through with them relative to a court system that imposes on people that doesn't acknowledge their differences and see their differences as opportunities rather than what's, well, that's your difference. That's, that's not going to work here. We don't, we don't recognize that here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have a couple of comments. Did you want to transition your um, your glasses in? <laughs> it's not necessarily my glasses to transition. It's my head look. <laughs> I, I have to keep bowing. Uh, well, one person says, hello, Greg, the uh, program informative is always need more time. And then another, this is one big reason I am transitioning into family mediation. So I am able to provide that support to family with different cultures and religious beliefs. Uh, you know, my background is community mediation and Jane and Finch, North Toronto. And it was an imperative and integral and foundational that, you know, Jane Finch, for example, it's a hundred different cultures and ethnicities to speak over 120 different dialects that we couldn't be limited to an English sounding name, which we had for the organization. And we answered the phone in English that should not be our identity and our definition. So the purpose of the program that I was responsible for was to be inclusive of as much range of diversity. So we had over 40 different languages represented on the volunteer mediator pool. That way we could adapt the process. That's so much more powerful. And that's, that's where I really connected with my passion mm. with this stuff. That's beautiful. Um, what I, one one thing that as as you're speaking, I'm thinking the the support is very important. What I find what I find um, that pulls people back or or lawyers tell you know clients don't go to mediation is because they believe that the clients are not informed 
or they're not or they're inadequately informed and that's the opposite is true clients or parties or people individuals going in mediation they are informed they know clearly what the ontario law says what the financial division the, there is information at the mediation mediation table but they are making different they're choosing differently and that ought to be honored and respected this is where i have the problem when agreements are made in the spirit of creating the foundation and you know a, the fairness that a family needs and they take disagreements for what's called legal advice and it's unraveled the the agreement it's unraveled because you know it doesn't follow the ontario the mainstream law. dynamic of definition it, it, of relationship transitioning even people born in ontario sometimes they don't want to it, it, it doesn't fit them it doesn't fit their law it doesn't fit the, the the rules do not fit their sense of fairness how they want to exit this marriage you know it, one, one example is always about financial settlement for example you know a car if somebody has a car a couple has a car the law says that you have to split the car half and half that's fine however if one person says well you know, it's, I love this car. I drove the kids, you know, every Saturday to whatever, the shul or the church or whatever the case may be. And I, I, I can I have it? And can I have it for no consideration? So I don't have to buy it from you. Can we just have an agreement and don't put a value on it because it's an emotional value that I want to attach to it and I have attached to it. And they, they can make that agreement. However, that agreement, if you take it away to, for legal advice, you will be told to you that no, that car is valued at 35,000 or 30,000 and he or she owes you 15,000 if he or she wants the car. So there, is, there are, there, it's not that you don't have the information, you do the, the parents and the parties do have the information, but they choose to do differently. And that should be honored. If there is no duress, if there is no coercion, if there is no lack of transparency, so, you know, or control or abuse. Yes. If coercion. Yeah. Yeah. Have to, the decisions of those families have, have to be upheld, have to be honored. Yes. And, and the reality is that I really try to promote it as you do, that the power of mediation in terms of decision-making and providing a space and a place for people to make decisions, especially about their family dynamic, we're focusing on family mediation or family dynamics here, that having ownership of that is the ultimate and keeping ownership of that to creating that new pathway after the relationship is end, especially if you want to continue to be friends because the traditional notion with lawyer involvement is it's adversarial. So it entrenches, it makes enemies of friends. So the more people can be navigated towards an, an option that mediation presents, and I, I've talked about this before too, it's not an alternative to me. The system is seen as the de facto. That's where you go when you have to make decisions about changing the relationship dynamics, i.e with decision-making, parenting, custody, well, uh, child support. And so the shift should be where it's the individuals retaining that ownership and retaining that power, that self-determination, so. That is not, you, your, your control over your own decision-making should not be the alternative. 
create your destiny, have the power of your own creation of your destiny. And you do have it. Yeah. So I, I know we're getting on in time here, uh, which we could talk. And I, Christiane, I appreciate it. Uh, let's see, another comment. Uh, thank you so much, Laura, for shedding light on this perspective. Thank you. Great and informative show. Appreciate it. Um, tune in again, for sure. So, you know, Laura and I like to engage because, well, we have rich conversations. I think most of the conversations that happen through the program and the show are engaging and energetic, in addition to being informative. Because I think we want to elevate the level of understanding and enrich people's understanding of the information so that people can access this and benefit from it. And we don't keep it within our own little worlds. You know, you're a charitable person, Laura, and that's the idea. You want to share your knowledge, your love, your expertise. I think people deserve better. I think families transitioning deserve deserve better. They deserve support and they, they deserve to they deserve a, a their own path. So yeah. Yeah, we are we're we're aligned there. We've always been aligned there. <laughs> well, you know, just to note too, we met initially through a certificate program at a certain university in Toronto. <laughs> and I was coaching and you were in the in the bleachers as well. Maybe I was in the bleachers. I'm not sure. Uh, so as we transition to say until next time, which is next week, what do you want to have people take away as a learning from our conversation? Um, I'm hoping so much has been learned. <laughs> it's a learning. Uh, just one um, we have been brainwashed and conditioned to really truly believe that divorce or separation is, is a negative thing and, and there's a lot of animosity and anger that comes with it and bitterness and betrayal and all that stuff. And um, I, we don't see that. I, I don't see that. I see a lot of, uh, I see a lot of opportunities and I, I see a lot of support and help and, uh, and mutual respect. So, um, I think it's important to know that there are those families out there um, who continue to be families. They're just going to look a little different. So they, 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 don't, they don't get on TV or on media <laughs> because it's not dramatic enough. Uh, but uh, we see more and more uh, families like that. Which, you know, it's the idea is to continue to build upon. We, one of the purposes of this program is to educate and inform people about the opportunity that mediation presents, educate them about the concepts, what's the process, what's it entail, deconstruct it, take it, demystify it in some way. Like when people show up at court, they usually have a, a very distorted view of the reality that court is and can do and serve them because they've gotten that in, information and insight through TV shows or movies. And they are not accurate in reflecting that when you go into the court system, you're giving ownership of your decision making to the system. That's not necessarily, as we talked about earlier tonight, that's not recognizing sensitive to or accommodating for, especially to adapt to the nuances of individuals culturally as personalities uh, and lived experiences. 
mediation does that. And, you know, another purpose of the program is to help inform and educate to the profession of conflict resolvers. So, you know, we all have a, a way to go and I hope we never get to the ideal because I'm looking that it's a continuum to grow and develop. Anyways, thank you. Let's see, just part with some comments here. Uh, you want to read them? Sure. <laughs> I'm about sharing. I don't want to take control we, here. We have, we, have a, we have a very distorted comment about our system. We, sh we should do a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't stand you, Laura. Oh, please. See us on video. Look, look. <laughs> Greg can you read the comments without nodding. <laughs> <laughs> what are you agreeing all the time? Greg, you got a problem there. And I agree everyone everyone's right to either live in or out of a relationship. It doesn't mean while getting yours your right you take away someone else's. I don't know if that makes sense. It does make sense. Absolutely. Um, you do you, your your life is different than and separate and unique than the other. If you form a relationship, that's beautiful. There's a lot of hope. There's a lot of love. There's a lot of intimacy, um, and that can continue after a separation and divorce, which is generally uh, portrayed as a negative thing. But it can actually be a um, um, a rebirthing thing for uh, many relationships and for co-parenting, particularly relationships. Yeah. Uh, and we have another comment here. That's so true. Educate people that divorce can be a new chapter. Um, and then the end can be a new beginning. Yes, the end can definitely and it better be a new beginning. <laughs> a, a positive one for sure. A positive one, yes. Yeah. Um, okay, and Taylor says that oh, a TV would be watched. So there we go. We have one... <laughs> We have a one set audience member. <laughs> Maybe we can create like a lobby group and they can canvas for us to get a show. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Uh, on a, a note for next week, we'll be back. Um, next week, I'm happy and proud to celebrate the 16th anniversary of the program. Started on February 13th, 2005, the night before Valentine's Day. Next week is actually the 14th, Valentine's Day. I don't know if we'll have a motif or a theme. We can talk about it. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll have, uh, we'll probably have my sister humming a song. Yeah, she's, she can carry a tune. Like well, nobody else. Well, she can carry the tune. I don't know what she'll do with it. <laughs> Are you well, laughing in the background there, sister? <laughs> Um, okay. okay, you learned a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank uh, you very, very much. Uh, it's it's learning in exchange. I that's how I see it always. And so it's not it's not just learning from one side. It's always an exchange, and I, I'm grateful for the opportunity always. <laughs> and it, just to say too that uh, Zara has said that maybe one day when I become a mediator after learning from you both, I can be a guest on the on the show as well. Well, Laura, Laura was where you were at at some point. I was earlier, and then Laura, and then Kimmy, who was here last week, was took the program, the family mediation program, in the summer. And so, you know, my idea is to help support and assist people who are looking to transition to create something of themselves in some way. 
and we still have our hair. So speak for yourself. <laughs> I, I am follically uh, deprived. Yeah, and I still have our hair. So Zekra, you're on. Uh, you're on the right track. <laughs> I'm challenged with that. <laughs> All right. So All right, everybody, thank you. For have a good night. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll try and practice some new jokes for next week because we don't want to get stale. We don't want to sound repetitive. Humor is a great uh, skill and technique to incorporate, especially into challenging and conflictual situations. Mm -hmm. So we, I did have past shows on using humor within the process. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Sensitive humor is a, a great, great um, tension dissipating fact of element that can be integrated. Yep. So it's, it's, it's humor is very important. I agree. I agree. And that's no joke, okay? That's no joke <laughs> on that note. <laughs> Have a yeah. good day, everybody. So, so everybody, this is it. I'm going to get the audio and I'm going to edit it into like a podcast and then I'll upload it to SoundCloud and then I'll post it on Facebook for Mediation Station, the group and the page. So I invite you to go on Facebook to be asked to become a member of Mediation Station. I also post it under my name on LinkedIn and it's also going to be on SoundCloud for sure. And then it's going to be directly going to Apple Podcasts. And then I, I believe it would go to Google Podcasts. I'm not sure yet. I just found out about that last week. Yeah. You know, when you find out, it's just okay. <laughs> new information. Anyways, everybody, I just say, you want to stay here all night? I, I don't know. Okay. Don't you have <laughs> I think we're going we're gonna to close. And thank you so much, everybody. <laughs> Good night. See you next week. And please... If, you can come next week. I invite you. I, I celebrate that. Let someone else know. So we'll post the link out there on Facebook and on LinkedIn and uh, tweet it out. Fenton Mediation. And Laura will do her, her uh, job I to do that too. Them. Yeah, right on. <laughs> <laughs> good night. <laughs> okay. Have a good night, everybody. We're going to close the meeting now. So go ahead and sign out. I just want to also say Michael Cashin, he's a new friend. I want to acknowledge him too. There you go. I did my job. I love new friends. You do? Yeah. All right. Well. All right.